Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. Disney Plus has rolled out what is said to be a wonderful and visionary show. WandaVision. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review Ted Danson's new sitcom, Mr. Mayor, and the new-to-us Kevin Costner western show, Yellowstone. Plus... I watched the best true crime documentary series I have ever seen this week on Netflix, Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. We begin with the new age of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on the small screen, which begins this weekend with the Disney Plus debut of WandaVision. Vision, we are an unusual couple. We don't have a song or even wedding rings. Well, we could rather do that. I do. Do you? I do. This place. I don't understand what's happening. Look, it's the star of the show. <laughs> I'm sorry? Wanda. Wanda. Can you read me? And they lived happily ever after. Wanda. So here's how WandaVision is described by Disney. Marvel Studios' WandaVision is a blend of classic television and the Marvel Cinematic Universe in which Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpowered beings living idealized suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. Both characters were in the Avengers movies. Wanda is the Scarlet Witch. She has powerful telekinetic abilities, i.e. she can move stuff with her mind. She can make herself fly. She can manipulate energy and throw these snazzy red balls of energy. She can read minds as well as plant nightmares in your head. She is played by Elizabeth Olsen. Vision is an artificial life form. He's super strong. He can fly shoot laser beams out of his head, and he can walk through walls. And his brain is basically a supercomputer, so he's real smart. He's played by Paul Bettany. And uh, spoiler alert for Avengers Infinity War, he is dead. So we're not really sure what's happening here. Does this take place before Avengers Infinity War? Does it take place after? Does it take place in some alternate universe? The answers may already be out there, but I, I haven't dug too deep because I want to be surprised when I watch the show. We do know that the show is made to look like a sitcom, and by all accounts, the look of the show changes week to week as they span through various decades, starting in the 50s, in full black and white. It also appears to be leading to events that will occur in the Doctor Strange movie, Multiverse of Madness, which will indeed feature Wanda Maximoff. The first two episodes debuted this weekend, and I would have told you about them because Disney offered us screener access. So I was super excited to watch the first three episodes. There's an app I had to download, did that, went to log in, but I need a computer to create my account to get into this app. And I couldn't do it from my phone. It had to be done from a computer and I don't have a computer at home. L-O-L. I just have my phone. So I was S-O-L. I can tell you, though, the early reviews have been solid 
Olsen's performance is being described as Emmy-worthy. Others have said that these two characters have never been better together. They say the show is creative, ambitious, like nothing we've ever seen from Marvel. So I'm very excited to check this out because... I'm a superhero geek. And if you thought there was too much Marvel before, well, LOL, this is just the first of nearly a dozen Marvel shows that Disney Plus will be rolling out over the next few years. But I'm very excited with this one. Uh, and I am I will offer a quick follow-up review next week because I'm going home today. I figured out the, the app and I got my account ready. So as soon as I get home, it's WandaVision time. You going to watch this? Oh, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it as well. And like you said, they've got nearly a dozen shows coming down the pike in the next couple of years. And I'm, I think I'm looking forward to almost all of them, especially uh, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think that should be fun. But I love both Wanda and Vision in those movies. And yeah, I was thinking earlier today, I was like, but he died in Infinity War, didn't he? How will they do that? But of course, in Endgame, they introduced introduce the notion of time travel. So I think anything is possible. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that is, because it does look really weird it's a surprising sort of a first show to be like to have this sitcom thing going for it and i mean maybe it won't last the whole run of the season but maybe it will and i I don't know it's it seems very strange but it's also incredibly intriguing and i can't wait to find out exactly what the wandavision is now speaking of um tv shows there was some good news and bad news this week for fans of an old classic sex and the city Seven and a half million people. Converging on one island. (sighs) Call me crazy. Can I have a cigarette? But I'd say there's a story there. Can I have a kiss? Sex in the City, HBO's new comedy series starring Sarah Jessica Parker. That's a promo from the original series, which ran for six seasons on HBO, starting in 1998. And along with The Sopranos, it was really one of the first big shows to usher in the era of prestige TV. And it's coming back with some new details about the upcoming reboot announced this week, most notably confirming that Kim Cattrall will not return to the cast. She played Samantha and was a fan favorite, but she said for years she's done with the show and did not want to reprise her role, and so she won't. Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis, and Cynthia Nixon will all return for the reboot, which is called And Just Like That. HBO says it'll be a 10-episode limited series, you know, limited to how popular it is. I'm sure if it's successful, they'll come back for more. It also won't be on regular HBO. It'll be on HBO Max, a streaming app that's available only in the U.S. right now in Canada. The show will be on Crave, but there's no word yet on a release date. Did you watch Sex in the City, Brett? I know I didn't. I watched the second movie, I think, I saw <laughs> just because we needed uh, content for an episode of The Couch Potato, so I went and watched <laughs> the second movie not knowing anything about any of the people in it. Well, you pretty much saw, I think, the worst that Sex in the City had to offer. I didn't watch it religiously, but I have seen, I think, most of it because uh, I can't, first of all, I can't believe it dates back to 1998, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. That is crazy the, to me. The, that promo was in uh, four by three format. They, there's not a lot of widescreen uh, sex in the city out there. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, but so I, I have seen a lot of it, and I always loved it. So you're right. It is. I think the good news, bad news, way you described it is perfect because I would like to see more of this world. I quite enjoyed it, but Kim Cattrall not coming back. 
as Samantha. That sucks because she was such a great character. She was foul and horny and she just didn't care about, you know, if you didn't like her too bad, she was, yeah. uh, she was great, but you know, her real life friendship quote unquote with Sarah Jessica Parker over the years has, uh, it was a constant source of headlines and their the animosity between them. So I'm not surprised that she's not coming back. And maybe it's better that she's not coming back anyway, uh, because you don't need that kind of stuff sort of overshadowing the show. Uh, I remember going to see the first movie. That was back in 2008, I think. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I went to see a matinee on Friday afternoon after I got off work. And... Uh, I was, I think, the only guy in that theater. And I went by myself, no less. So I'm sure I looked like this creep who was, <laughs> was just going to the movie to be surrounded by women. I don't know. I wanted to, to just say, I'm doing research. I'm here for our show. Um, this, this is a, I'm a journalist. This counts. <laughs> Yeah. Pull out a, you wear a press cap with, uh, you know, a thing sticking out of the side of the hat. So right. the first movie was okay. Second one was a disappointment. So I think the fact that they're going back to maybe give this show a proper send off, if in fact this is it, a limited series, and then they're done, hopefully they stick the landing this time. Yeah, I I'd, I've. I'd, can't really speak to the quality of any of it except for that second movie I saw was I don't remember specifics about it except that I did not really enjoy it although there was a funny diarrhea scene that I enjoyed oh yes because all di all diarrhea scenes are funny no matter what the rest of the movie right yep that's right toilet humor I mean uh, I love it so the child in me will never stop enjoying <laughs> toilet humor and they did a very good they, you're right they did a very good job of it in that movie it was a good gag coming up in a moment a master of comedy returns to nbc just after his last show on nbc finally said goodbye details next you're listening to the couch potatoes Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Some of my favorite people have banded together to make a new sitcom that's on NBC. It's called Mr. Mayor, and it stars Ted Danson as the newly elected mayor of Los Angeles. I never thought I'd be standing here, but my city needed me. He's charismatic, open-minded, independent. You're all in on this guy. I'm very open to the idea of a robot police force. Thank you for reminding me. R.P. Meskin. I think you handle that perfectly, sir. Mr. Mayor is created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who created such hilarious sitcoms as 30 Rock and the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And, you know, I wanted to tune in because of Ted Danson. I was very pleasantly surprised to see that Fey and Carlock were behind the show. I didn't know that or... More likely, I did know that once upon a time and forgot about it over the past year. The show originally started shooting about a year ago and, of course, was delayed because of the pandemic. Danson, of course, is TV royalty. Uh, I saw early Ted Danson a lot in 2020 with my Cheers rewatch. And the past few years, of course, we fell in love with him all over again on The Good Place, which wrapped up about a year ago. Now in Mr. Mayor, as the title implies, he's the mayor of Los Angeles. And as the series opens, it's his first day on the job. We learned that he was in the Billboard business and was very successful at it. He ran for mayor on a bit of a whim, and there are concerns he's not qualified. In the opening episode, he has a crisis and turns it around, and people think, oh, well, maybe he is all right to be the mayor here. But not everybody thinks that. 
And that's where Holly Hunter comes in. She plays a political rival bent on giving Tansen a hard time. They fight about plastic straws in the opening episode. He wants to ban them. She's concerned that the domino effect will lead to the city being overrun by coyotes because they will no longer choke to death on the littered straws. And that's the sort of thing that reminds you that you're watching a Faye Carlock show. So right there, Danson's character has a couple of obstacles, his own naivete about the job, as well as someone trying to trip him up at every turn. There's also his staff, a couple of youngsters who think they're hot stuff, who don't know that they don't have enough experience in this world and in this specific world. And then there's a much more experienced but kind of dumb holdover from the previous mayoral administration. He's played by Bobby Moynihan, who I love. You'll remember Moynihan from Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, where he was, for me, always a bright spot. Yeah, um, he also had a sitcom a couple of years ago that I quite enjoyed, but that thing was canceled by Christmas. So I'm thrilled, A, that he's picked up another gig and something prominent, and B, that it stands a better chance of running for at least a few seasons. His character's name is Jaden by the way, and there's a funny scene in the pilot where someone says, aren't you a little old to be called Jaden? And he surmises that he may in fact be the very first Jaden on the planet. The other elements in the mayor's is the mayor's home life. He is a single parent, a widower, and he has a teenage daughter. We were all teenagers once, so we know the challenges that lie therein for both father and daughter. Mr. Mayor was originally supposed to be a spinoff of 30 Rock, apparently with Alec Baldwin reprising his role from 30 Rock. I guess it would sort of make sense for uh, Jack Donaghy to run for mayor of New York. Baldwin dropped out, though, and Danson stepped in. However, Ted Danson said, I'm not moving away from L.A., so they retooled the show to make it set in L.A. Besides, you know, being necessary, I think that's a good move for the show. There have been more than enough New York shows over the years, especially, you know, with Sex in the City coming back. That'll be another New York show. So I don't mind an L.A. show, and the scenery, of course, in L.A. is always very pretty. So it's been in just a couple of episodes that uh, have been released so far. But so far, I'd say it's pretty promising. I, I laughed out loud a bunch in the two that I watched. Shows always take a little while to find their footing and to get the ball rolling rolling on developing the characters and i gotta say mr mayor off to a good start again it's on nbc and on city tv and i highly recommend uh checking out mr mayor brett excellent ted danson back in the saddle not mm-hmm. long after a good place said although i guess a good place wrapped up pretty much near the beginning of 2020 already uh, yeah, they so. had like four episodes at the beginning of 2020 and it was over or something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I will have to check it out. I did notice on my PVR, I pulled it up, like, Mr. Mayor times four episodes. But, oh yeah, that's that Ted Danson show <laughs> that uh, Bron told me to set a recording for. I want to quickly tell you about something that I had no idea even existed. Uh, I can't even remember what I saw. I think I saw somebody tweeting about it or whatever. It's a new BBC Earth show called A Perfect Planet. They say perfection doesn't exist. But that's not quite true. Can't you see? There is one planet where every element has fallen into place perfectly. Planet Earth. Volcanoes to weather systems, ocean currents to the heat of the sun, these forces allowed life on Earth to flourish. Okay, so I don't watch a ton of nature docs, but uh, when, what was it, uh, Planet Earth 2 
came out back in 2017. That was kind of an event series because they were hyping these new cameras that they were using. They were saying that they've got they got the best footage that's ever been recorded. And it was one of my favorite shows of that year. I think it was my third favorite show of 2017. I loved it. And I, whenever David Attenborough does one of these new sort of event shows, I make sure to check it out. So when I saw that he did this, I just checked my PVR to see if I could... Uh, watch the first episode on demand because it aired in the first week of January. Sure enough, it was there. And uh, I was just mesmerized. Somehow they have managed to exceed the footage that they got in that Planet Earth 2. The, the stuff they have on camera in this show is incredible. It airs Tuesdays, by the way, on BBC Earth. And like I said, you should be able to watch those episodes on demand if you have missed them. It's incredible. It's crazy. The The stuff they find, the animals they find, like they found uh, something called a silver ant, which lives in the Sahara Desert, and it's capable of withstanding temperatures of like 70 degrees Celsius. It's like the only animal on the planet that can last in that kind of heat without melting. So highly recommended. I will tell you more about A Perfect Planet, I'm sure, in the weeks to come, because I think it's on for six more episodes. Tuesdays, BBC Earth. In a moment, we're heading to Los Angeles, from the Sahara to Los Angeles, to discuss The Night Stalker. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I watched an excellent documentary series on Netflix this past week, Night Stalker, Hunt for a Serial Killer. I was on the freeway, and here comes somebody speeding, and all of a sudden he just swerves around my car. It's like he's right there, like a moment stop. And he has this horrible big grin, and he's missing all these teeth. He just stared at me like a killer clown. You got us a serial killer. There was no doubt about it. This was a pretty sick individual. The so-called night stalker who has terrorized California. The same man is suspected in six to eight murders and 25 to 30 attacks. He's someone that will go into a home at night and will kill. I woke up to a very loud noise, to which I responded, John, and immediately, I knew it wasn't John, but something was there. Look, there's a lot of true crime stuff out there, right? Uh, especially even on Netflix, there is a lot. There's a new. It seems like there's a new one every week, and for the most part, I don't watch them. Not because I don't like them. I just end up watching other stuff. Couch Potatoes got a lot of stuff to watch, but the name Night Stalker rung a bell for me, and then I finally connected the dots that he was featured on 2019's American Horror Story 1984. The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, was a featured character in that season. So I checked it out, the documentary series, and I will say this is the best true crime documentary I have ever watched. It was stunning. If you're not familiar with the Night Stalker, he went on a horrifying killing spree during a blistering hot summer in the mid-1980s in California, mostly in Los Angeles, but not exclusively in L.A., there was no method to his madness other than he would usually find his way into unlocked homes, whether through the door or through a window. You know, usually serial killers have sort of a set technique or a specific kind of target. Ramirez, he would kill anyone, men, women. He would attack and hurt children. He used different weapons. Didn't seem to matter how he did it or whom he was doing it to. He just had to kill. And that's why everybody was so scared. You know, it was awful. And then, 
after his capture, he became a sex symbol for tons of women who would come to the courtroom. They'd mail him pics of themselves. He was like a rock star to them. And in some ways, he kind of looked like a rock star. The show was led by the two detectives who hunted him down. And for the most part, over the four episodes, it takes us chronologically through the timeline of events. Occasionally jumping back here or there, but this was a defined point A to point B story. There was no pattern. Anyone could be a victim. He went after old people, young people, men, women. It's unheard of. We've never encountered anybody like that in criminal history. Everybody was talking about it. I'm scared. I think everybody else is scared. It's a cruel Pressure was on to stop the madman that was doing all this. So we start trying to piece all this puzzle together. We were in for a roller coaster ride. It's the only time in my entire life that I slept with a gun. So there was no traditional narrator in this. It was essentially narrated by these two detectives. And the series is just as much telling their story as it's telling the story of Richard Ramirez's crime spree. Young detective gets partnered with a legendary detective. They work tirelessly for months to track the killer. And in many cases, they're defeated by the police, whether it's someone deciding to pull out some undercover officers to take them off the operation for budget reasons or departments in different jurisdictions jerking each other around because they don't want to help each other. That was tough to watch, to see how many people maybe would not have died if there was more cooperation and if budgets weren't so important. The visual style, too, was super cool. Like, for example, the way they would display the map of Los Angeles. They would zoom in on a particular area and zoom down and show like a 3D depiction of the map. But everything was in shadow, in darkness, with the moon sort of creepily lurking in the background, poking through the clouds. It's almost a cheesy effect, but for the most part, I found it unsettling, effective, and like I said, just cool. The opening title logo and ending logo harkens right back to the 80s with its style, along with the music used in the credits. So that's nice that they were able to give the show that 80s ambience. But overall, it just told a great story. It was so compelling and so well produced, edited. And when it ended, I think I actually clapped and cheered in my living room because that's how impressed I was. I was like, yeah, that was great. I mean, look, it's a difficult show to watch in terms of the atrocities that Ramirez committed. But I thought this was television excellence. At least I thought so. Turns out it's only at 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. But at the time I checked, they'd only posted five reviews, two of the five bad. But I've read at least five other rave reviews elsewhere. So take that for what it's worth. And like I said, I am not a true crime aficionado. I can only really comment on this from my perspective, a guy who watches a lot of TV, period. So, thankfully, we have a colleague who is an expert on true crime stuff. She watches pretty much all the documentaries that are out there. She watches Dateline, 48 Hours, Crime Beat on Global, listens to podcasts. She knows her stuff. So when I talked to her today, she lit up like a Christmas tree in excitement over the show. She has watched several documentaries about Richard Ramirez, uh, but she says this is the first one that actually gave the full chronological timeline. 
And she liked how they would say, for example, May 25th, 1985, or whatever the date was. And then it would show which victim, which crime was committed that day, which victim was affected. Uh, she liked the, the focus on how the media would manipulate the police and how certain information was getting out and that information getting out was bad because they didn't have DNA back then to use. They didn't have a computer database for fingerprints. So any leaked details could just blow the investigation. Uh, she also liked the nostalgia, says the music and visual stylings to the 80s. Add to that overall feel that you're in the 80s. Uh, she loved what she saw, at least the first three episodes. Had not watched the fourth yet when we spoke. So don't just take it from me. And don't take it from the naysayer critics who didn't like it. Take it from the true crime expert. She says it's great. So I, I say it's great. Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. It's excellent. Watch it. It's on Netflix. You could sense it. There's evil in that man. It's a cruel, cruel summer. Do you like true crime stuff? I do like true crime stuff, but uh, honestly... I just haven't been in the mood for it lately. I've I've seen the uh, the night soccer thing flit by on my Netflix screen, and I was like, oh, it's. I think I would sort of like to watch that, but I just can't seem to get myself in the mood for it. But uh, it's definitely on the radar now after your enthusiastic review. Yeah, I. I that's a good point. Mood, I, I, and I, I maybe with darker stuff, I tend to enjoy watching darker stuff, sort of in the dead of winter, right? Like I, I tried to watch. I can't remember what series it was last or two summers ago. And I just, I think it was dark. (laughs) I think it was season two of of the Netflix show dark. And I just couldn't do it in the summer because I wanted to be outside in the sunshine. I didn't want to watch this sort of dark and broody, moody show about time travel where everyone was miserable. Uh, So I waited until the winter (laughs) when I'm already miserable. There you go. All right. Next, we're going to Yellowstone with a buzzy show on that is now available on Prime. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I keep seeing these ads for a show on Amazon Prime Video called Yellowstone, starring Kevin Costner. So this week I thought, time to check it out. It's your cowboy today. You don't act like the man from the stories I've heard. That's the thing about being a grandfather. I get to do all the things I wish I'd done with my children. <laughs> and the things I regret, I get to do different. You were right. They're building a city. Everyone's forgotten who runs this valley. I need you more than ever. You have me. What are you doing here? Same thing I always do. Fixing something you couldn't. Stagnation is death for a town, and the Duttons are the ones killing it. New chief is hungry for a fight. I'm gonna buy your ranch and I'm gonna pull down every fence. It'll look like it used to when it was ours. Just tell me how to fight. Everyone. Now, Yellowstone's been on for three seasons in the United States already on something called the Paramount Network, which apparently is available in Canada, question mark. But people on the Internet indicated that Yellowstone was not on the Canadian version of the Paramount Network for some reason. It's also available on the Peacock streaming service stateside. That's the NBC Universal one, I think. So while it has aired those three seasons in the U.S., it's new to all of us in Canada here, or at least the very least if there was a way to put eyeballs on it before in Canada. 
Canada. Uh, very, very few people knew how to do it, but now we can all find it on Amazon Prime Video. It's really easy for everyone to look at. I watched the first two episodes. It's really the first three episodes because the first episode was a double length. In all, it adds up to 10 47-minute episodes for each of the three seasons. And I really like what I've seen so far. Even if I don't totally follow everything, there is a ton of stuff going on and it just drops us in. There's not a whole lot of initial exposition. Instead, you pick it up as it goes along. And I will say that that has been pretty easy. In other words, if you're confused at first, don't worry, you will figure it out. So what's it about? Well, the name Yellowstone is the name of a monstrous ranch in Montana owned by Kevin Costner and his family, the Duttons. He has three sons and a daughter. His wife died years ago. One son sort of runs the day-to-day -day of the ranch. Another son, played by Wes Bentley, is a lawyer. And the other son is sort of estranged. He moved to the Crow Nation community next to the ranch where he's married and has a son. He's also an ex-Navy SEAL. His name is Casey, and he's played by Luke Grimes. And after Costner, gets, after Costner he sort of gets the lion share of screen time in the early going. The daughter, Beth, is played by Kelly Riley. She's the kid with attitude. She drinks and smokes and gets down and dirty with the Cowboys. Um, she's also a hard hitter at some bank in, quote-unquote, the city. She's easily the most entertaining character of the cast so far. And there's a lot of talk about the city, but I have not yet picked up which city they're referring to, even though there are a couple of scenes have been set there. Needless to say, they don't much like city folk down on the ranch. In fact, on this ranch, they don't much like anyone else at all. There are issues with cattle and the Crow Nation next door, including the band's newly elected chief. There are issues with land developers and energy companies and banks and governors and all sorts. It's a quite a well-developed world right from the jump. And like I said, I did find it a bit overwhelming, but you can pick it up as it goes along. And that's just good writing. And lo and behold, the show is created and written by Taylor Sheridan, who's a terrific writer who wrote the movies Sicario, Hell or High Water, and Wind River. Suffice to say, if you like those movies, you're probably going to dig Yellowstone. The show also stars Gil, Bur Gil Birmingham, Danny Houston, Jill Hennessy, and Cole Hauser. He plays the real muscle on the ranch. He'll kill you if he has to. Again, it's early going, but so far the vibe is that even though there are all these kind of soapy storylines and the show stars, you know, a former big hunky heartthrob Kevin Costner, it's kind of dark and a lot of the characters are not good people, but they're also not cartoon villains for the most part. They're, they've got some depth to them. In fact, I keep thinking of Costner as a good guy, which he really is not. It's off to a good start. I'm excited to keep watching. Again, Yellowstone available on Amazon Prime Video. There are three seasons waiting for you, 10 episodes each, and they are currently shooting season four. So there will be more if you burn through it quickly. Yeah, I've had a few people say, Brad, have you watched this Yellowstone show? Have you seen this Yellowstone? It's really good. It's really good. And I always meant to ask where they watched it. I think they had to rent it. Like, I think you could rent it through something like Apple TV, which means oh, it, was, yeah. it was probably available on YouTube. You know, most of those th shows you can access if you're willing to pay for it. Right. But in terms of just getting it through a streaming service or whatever... Um, yeah, so the, the fact that this just suddenly popped up on Prime came yeah. as a big surprise. And uh, the fact that it's, ta I didn't realize that this uh, Taylor Sheridan was behind it. Those movies, Sicario, Hell or High Water, and Wind River are all excellent. So if that person is behind this, then I need, need to make uh, Yellowstone a priority. I definitely recommend you and everyone else check it out. Uh, it's... Uh uh, trigger warning, an animal dies in the first scene. So if you're squeamish about that, you might want to look away right away in the first 15 seconds. Okay. Um, okay. And now on a completely different topic, let's move over to 
Jeopardy. Ken Jennings guest hosted Jeopardy for the first time this past week after longtime host Alex Trebek's final episode aired the week before. Before getting into the game, Jennings delivered a heartfelt message to the fans. You know, sharing this stage with Alex Trebek was one of the greatest honors of my life. Not many things in life are perfect, but Alex did this job pretty much perfectly for more than 36 years, and it was even better up close. We were dazzled by his intelligence, his charm, his grace, really, there's no other word for it. Like all Jeopardy fans, I miss Alex very much. And I thank him for everything he did for all of us. Let's be totally clear, no one will ever replace the great Alex Trebek. But we can honor him by playing the game he loved. And with that, the game began, and it was weird. Jennings, you know, said right there, no one will ever replace Trebek. But I got to say, even though we've all been fawning over Trebek for years and years now, I think we were still underestimating him. You only need to see someone else doing it to realize how smooth Alex was as the host of Jeopardy. It was quite startling to me. I know for the entire first segment, I couldn't even focus on what the questions were. The whole proceedings just seemed so off. Ken was kind of nervous at first, too. And later in the week, he relaxed a bit more. I don't know though i was really think i was right about how much the voice itself plays a part most of the show is you know the host reading the clues and i don't know that ken's got the best voice for that some other folks will try their hand at guest hosting including green bay packers quarterback aaron Rodgers. i love that guy and he's pretty smart i've seen him win on jeopardy i mean it was celebrity jeopardy but still rogers will obviously be a bit of a, a stunt host there because i'm guessing the Packers pay him a little more than Jeopardy would. But Jeopardy, of course, continues looking for a permanent replacement for Trebek, who passed away in November. That is a great point on the voice. They, they've got to get somebody who's got a smooth voice, Alex. Yep. He was silky smooth in that job. Uh, but good on Ken, and by all accounts, what I did see of Ken Jennings stepping in, did a decent job. And who could blame him for being nervous and be the first guy to, ta- to step in for <laughs> Alex Trebek? Um, and he's not a broadcaster by by trade. That's not his job. He's not used to talking in front of people. Although I guess he must be comfortable on the Jeopardy set. He was there for like five straight months <laughs> back in the day. Right? So. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.